Hey friends, Nina here. I am taking a break for the holidays, just no episode on the 15th, but I thought you all deserved a release. So this episode is from my Patreon. Patreon subscribers get early ad-free access to all episodes, plus one bonus episode each month. I picked this episode because it's a compelling case out of the Atlanta area, and there is a television show that goes with it that you could check out if you have Discovery+. Plus. I hope you have a fantastic December and a very happy new year. We will be back on January 1st with an all-new episode. Jennifer vanished sometime in the overnight hours. Right now, there is no trace. Investigators say evidence leads them to believe that she's dead. Stick my nose back on the trail. That's all I can do. This is already gone. Already gone. Already gone. In the summer of 2002, 19-year-old Allison Alvarez was living a happy life. She had good friends, a job she enjoyed, and a boyfriend she was crazy about. She was living with him, 19-year-old Josh Samples, and the two worked at a fast food restaurant. That's where they'd met. They were optimistic about their future and making plans for what came next. Allison and Josh were kind of an odd couple. She was a pretty, petite, dark-haired Latina, born and raised in Bogota, Colombia, but moved to the U.S. at age 15 to finish her education. She was feminine and liked wearing dresses and girly clothes that showed off her figure. Josh? He was tall with long hair, grown past his shoulders. He'd be best described as a goth. He wore a lot of black, including on his lips and fingernails. And while outward appearances seemed a mismatch, the two were very close and very much in love. One of Josh's hobbies was customizing cars, and he, along with members of his car club, who then now were excited about a big event at the Atlanta Motor Speedway on September 21st, 2002. The event will be attended by upwards of 100,000 people, most of them male. The group had even booked rooms at a local motel to better enjoy and participate in the festivities. Back in Michigan, mid to late September tends toward cooler, or at least not summer-like temperatures, but in Georgia... Temps are still in the 80s, and the sun beats down hot, making it feel even warmer. And this, the weekend of the car show, was one of those warm weekends. When Allison, Josh, and the guys from Who Then Now hit the gates at Atlanta Motor Speedway, or AMS, on that Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, it was gearing up to be a hot one. Allison was not feeling her best, and Josh was concerned about her. Rather than roaming through the crowds to look at cars, they headed for the grandstand to take a seat. From the grandstand, they had a view of the event and some of the demonstrations. Allison told Josh she needed to use the restroom and asked if he'd watch her purse and hold on to her phone. He said, hey, should I go with you? And Allison said, no, just keep an eye on my stuff. He agreed that he would, and Allison walked away in search of the bathroom. It's about 2 o'clock, and the day is just getting warmer. The crowds, mostly men and the occasional female attendee, are swirling through the event. The sounds of motors, cheering, and car noises fill the air. When Allison doesn't return right away, Josh figures that she's found something interesting to look at, or maybe she's in line with one of the many vendors buying a soda or a snack. When she's not back to their spot by 3 o'clock, He and his friends spread out and start searching for her in earnest. 
They find a security guard and advise them that their friend is missing. Now, most of the security for this event are either off-duty or retired sheriff's deputies. And the event is a busy one for local police. Tickets are issued for public drunkenness and sometimes for fighting or disorderly conduct. And I don't want to paint a picture of this event as a free-for-all. It wasn't. It was a mostly safe and uneventful time, but when you get 100,000 people together in one place with lots of alcohol, noise, and cars, there are people who get unruly. There are also people who will see this as an opportunity for murder, but we'll get to that shortly. In speaking with security, Josh gives a description of Allison, five foot four, brown hair, brown eyes, wearing a tank top, blue jeans, and boots. A call goes out over the radio, but no one has seen her. Josh's friends, Vu, Thamson, Jesse, and Chris, they are all keeping an eye out for Allison, but by the end of the event, no one has seen her and her cell phone, which Josh is holding onto along with her purse. It doesn't ring. At the end of the day, Josh hurries back to the motel, hoping to open the door and find Allison waiting for him, but the room is silent and empty. There is no sign of the missing girl. Then he calls home to see if his parents have heard from Allison. But no, she hasn't made it back there either. So Josh rouses his friends. They're going back to Atlanta Motor Speedway. They're going back to search for Allison. They load into their cars and return to the deserted track. It's almost midnight. The group hops the fence and searches the grounds for any sign of her. But after an hour of looking, they give up. If she were there, they'd have found her. And as they climb the fence once more, this time to leave... They spot someone else climbing the fence further down. This person, or maybe persons, is entering the track just like they did earlier. After a sleepless night, Josh calls the sheriff's department to report Allison missing. When Deputy Jason Bolton arrives at the motel, he finds a dark and cluttered room and Josh looking haggard from lack of sleep. Deputy Bolton talks to Josh and takes a report. He enters Allison into the database so that if she encounters police or paramedics, she'll be flagged. While there isn't much the deputy can do, I mean, Allison hasn't even been missing for 24 hours yet, Josh insists that this is out of character for her. But law enforcement, who don't know her and they don't know Josh, well, they have no trouble coming up with a scenario where she may have left voluntarily. Deputy Bolton takes Josh's information and collects contact information from the other men from his car club who attended the event and are at the motel. There is no sign of Allison on Monday. She even missed her scheduled shift at work. So police perform a perfunctory search of the speedway. They accessed all of the areas available during the event. This means that while they did an extensive search, much of the main grandstand and the suites were not looked at as they were closed to attendees. And while they search the grounds, another detective is on the phone with Tatiana, who is Allison's best friend. She tells officers that she hasn't heard from Allison and that this is out of character for her. She describes Allison's relationship with Josh as good and says that he called her on Saturday hoping that she had heard from Allison who was missing. Tatiana told police that Allison wasn't particularly interested in the car show. It wasn't her thing, but she was going because it was important to Josh. She also tells them that Allison asked her to come along, but Tatiana declined because she needed to study for her classes. With Allison missing, Tatiana wished that she'd made a different choice. 
On Tuesday, the local news is told about Allison's disappearance, and Josh, along with his parents, begin distributing missing persons flyers in the area around the racetrack. Helicopters and dive teams are brought in to search the many lakes and ponds around the exterior of AMS. Then, investigators start interviewing those who work at the track. And that's when they learn that most of the vendors don't work for AMS. They are contractors and subcontractors. It's nearly impossible to get a list of the people working AMS that day. Many of these vendors are small shops who hire people just for the events. Even if they call every single vendor, it could take weeks or months to get a comprehensive list of who was there. Meanwhile, one of the car club guys, he uses online bulletin boards to spread the word about Allison going missing from the Speedway. Unfortunately, between the vendors and the car clubs, there are zero leads in her case. Police are frustrated and they go back to the track. This time, they are determined to search every square foot of the facility, and this is no small feat. Atlanta Motor Speedway is a massive campus on more than 800 acres. So four days after Allison Alvarez went missing, a sheriff's deputy is searching the grandstands near the East Turn. First, he spots a program from the car show. Then beyond it, he sees a foot. The foot, wearing a white sock, is attached to the decomposing body of a woman. He reaches for his radio to inform the rest of the team that the search is over. The remains are bloated and discolored. Remember, it's hot in Atlanta, even in late September. The body is nearly nude and there is blood visible near her hairline, as well as thick purple marks around her neck. Signs of a violent struggle. They also note bruising on the insides of her thighs and smell the distinct aroma of cleaning products. Someone doused the body with cleaning fluid. On her feet, they see long scratches consistent with dragging. This, this area of the grandstand, is not their crime scene. She must have been killed elsewhere. As they search, they find blood in one of the elevators, and as they continue to examine the area for clues, they're led up to the champion suites. These suites are upscale with couches, carpeting, refrigerators, and big screen televisions. Everything a VIP might want to enjoy a race. Their search leads them to suite 34, and they start checking the ceiling tiles. When they lift one in the restroom, they find a bundle of clothing, jeans, and a tank top. Luminol reveals blood spatter in the suite. Now they have their crime scene, but who brought Allison up here only to rape and murder her? Car show attendees had no access to this area, but there is no shortage of vendors and track employees who did have access. Police realize it's time to start looking at them. And here is where the Deering family comes in. Saturday, September 21st, 8 a.m. Toby Deering and his sister Amanda leave for work in the family minivan. Members of the Deering family work part-time concessions at AMS. Toby is working a 12-hour shift that Saturday, and while he doesn't have keys to the champion suites where Allison's body is discovered, he does have access to the area where the keys are held. It's thought that Allison, who was feeling under the weather, came across Toby Deering while searching for the restrooms. Toby, who realized that she was alone and not feeling her best, sees an opportunity to take advantage of her. He likely offered her a restroom along with an air-conditioned place to lie down for a few minutes, and Allison, not recognizing the danger, agreed to go with him. Toby led her into Suite 34. 
and we can't say what happened next because Toby claims that he blacked out. Keep in mind that Toby is well over six feet tall with a sturdy build, and Allison stands just five foot four. It's about three o'clock when Toby's co-worker, Pam, asks Toby to run an errand at the track for her, and he says that he can't right now, he's doing something. She notices that he's holding a bottle of bleach. Pam also notes that Toby has a fresh scratch mark on his neck, but she doesn't think much of it. Toby completes the rest of his shift without incident. Once his shift is over and he's back at home, it's nearly midnight when Toby confesses to his wife, Stephanie, about the murder. Stephanie, who has a baby with Toby, tells him that he has to go back. He must return to the track and clean up after himself. He can't leave any trace or any evidence behind. Stephanie drives her husband back to AMS and waits while he hops the fence and goes back to the scene of the crime. Now, remember when Josh and his friends were leaving the track and they saw someone climbing the fence to get in? They saw Toby Deering. So they were all at the track at the same time, about 100 yards apart, which is just bizarre. So Toby goes back to the track. He cleans up. When he returns to the car, he's out of breath, and he and Stephanie return home. Back at the house, Toby gets on the computer, and he and Stephanie begin to argue. Toby calls his brother, Josh, and says, hey, come get me. Josh and Toby Deering head out to Waffle House, where they meet up with their friend, Brandon Dudley. Toby confesses to them that he strangled a girl. He claims that nothing sexual happened, but he freaked out and strangled her. That's all he can remember, because he blacked out. He tells them how he dragged her body from the suites to the bleacher area of the Speedway. Brothers Josh and Toby go back to Atlanta Motor Speedway, and this time Josh has a key to let them in. The brothers are wearing gloves, and Toby uses disinfectant to clean up after himself, including spraying doorknobs, handles, and buttons in the elevator. While at the track that night with his brother, Josh doesn't actually see the body, except for a quick glimpse. He thinks that Toby is exaggerating, and that maybe there was an assault, but not an actual murder. Fast forward to Tuesday... Brandon Dudley and his friend John Rowland are at Waffle House when Josh Deering arrives with his friend Joe English. They get food and chat, and everything seems normal. Then Josh goes to the restroom. When he returns, Josh slides a note across the table to Dudley. The note says, Want to see something funny? Go to the cigarette room and look on the door facing me. When Dudley follows the directions on the note, he sees a poster for a missing woman, Allison Alvarez. Dudley returns to the table and says, is that her? Josh tells him yes. Brandon Dudley will pocket the note, and later he will show the note to the police after he makes a 911 call saying he has information in her case. On Wednesday, Toby Deering is taken into custody. He admits to the murder of Allison Alvarez. Josh Deering will confess to helping his brother clean up the crime scene. Did I mention that Toby had a record and had already served time in prison? Yeah, this was not his first experience with the law. When he relates his version of events to the police, he tells them that he decided he would have sex with Allison Alvarez. Poor Allison. Toby wanted to get back at his wife, Stephanie, because Stephanie had affairs with two men while Toby was doing time. The rest of the story that Toby told police regarding Allison's murder is that he was working when Allison approached him. She was, quote, looking for a good time. Toby wanted to get back at Stephanie for cheating on him while he was away. He said Allison told him it was $20 for a blowjob. Toby walked off with her and they looked for a restroom where they could be alone. 
Toby decided to take Allison up to the suites, which were empty during this event. Once inside the suite, he told her he wanted intercourse, not just oral sex, and she said that would be $50. Allison then undressed and slipped her hand into his pants. Toby changed his mind and pushed her away. That's when Toby blacked out. All he can remember is that he put his hands around her throat, and he couldn't stop himself from choking her. When he left, she was face down, lying on her stomach. When he dragged her to the grandstand area, it was Josh who came back to help him clean up the crime scene. They used her tank top to wipe up prints. He also worked barefoot to hide his shoe prints. After confessing to detectives, he turned to one of the officers who was transporting him and said, Do you think God will forgive me? I don't think so, Toby. Toby Ryan Deering is convicted of murder. His brother, Joshua Corey Deering, is convicted of hindering the apprehension of a criminal. Toby Deering is currently serving a life sentence at the Macon State Prison in Macon, Georgia. He is not eligible for parole. And listeners, this episode is from Georgia, which is unusual for me. Even though I'm living here, I still prefer covering cases from Michigan and the Great Lakes region. But last year, I was approached by a production house for the show Fog of Murder. They were covering Allison's case and asked if I wanted to participate. If you'd like to watch and see me with purple hair, check out Fog of Murder Season 1, Episode 5, airing on Discovery+. Plus. Audio editing for this episode provided by Bill Burt. Production assistance by Olivia Holmesley. I'm Nina Instead, the writer, producer, and voice behind the Already Gone podcast. I appreciate you listening, and please be safe. Be safe.